Good morning. Good to see all you friendly faces out there. Uh, glad you guys are here, able to join us uh, to worship and study together. Uh, we're going through the book of Acts together. Hopefully you've been reading along and you're, you're caught up with where we are. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 15 today. Uh, and Acts 15 is going to address your, your favorite topic in mine, um, which is uh, conflict. We love to talk about conflict. We love to be in conflict with people, right? No, we do not like conflict. Part of the reason why we don't like conflict is because we stink at it. I mean, if we're being honest, we can all think back to some moments and relationships where something went bad because of a conflict that didn't end well, uh, was not handled properly. Uh, I have a group of friends I went to college with, and after we graduated from college, for the next 10 years probably, every fall, we would get together and take a road trip together just to hang out and, and spend time together. So about 10 years ago, uh, we got together, took a road trip from Tennessee to Colorado for a youth pastor's retreat uh, conference. And so it's, it's six guys crammed into a, a minivan uh, on, the, on the road, and uh, this particular year, two of the guys, one of them who owned the van and then his friend, um, were really into geocaching at the time. You guys know geocaching? You remember that? This was a craze from the 2000s where you, you go to this website and it'll give you these coordinates and you, you go to the coordinates and there's something there, like somebody has hidden something or placed a box there and you can sign your name and say you were here and you check it off your geocache list. It's sort of like uh, road bingo, but more tech I don't know. So anyway, they were super into geocaching, and they uh, wanted to stop every time we crossed the state line. They're like, well, we have to. St- we we want to get geocaches in all 50 states, so we had to stop. We crossed into you know Missouri. We got to get a geocache. We could cross into Kansas. So we stopped every state line, and we let them do their thing. Um, then we went to the conference in Colorado. On the third day of a four-day conference, they they sort of came to the group after lunch, and they said, "Hey guys, uh, we're leaving here in two hours. We're going to leave." Because we figured out that if, if we leave early, we can get geocaches. <laughs> it's, it's hard to take this seriously. We can get geocaches in, in New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, go back home a different route, get them in, in Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota before we get home. And we'll, we can knock out like seven more states, uh, but we have to leave today. So we're going to go ahead and leave today, a day early, before the conference is over. So these two guys are saying this. The other four of us are like, no, we're... We're, we're not leaving today. Uh, we're, we're here for the whole conference. We're enjoying this. It's a good thing. And uh, they said, well, you're, you're welcome to stay, but the van is leaving today. So you're welcome to stay and you guys can buy your own plane ticket and get home however you want to get home. But the van is leaving today. And some version of that exchange went on for about two hours. We're, we're leaving today. You can't leave today. We're all, in, nope, we're leaving. The van's leaving. We're, you can't do that. We're all in there. Like, and for two hours, it was just that. Uh, really, really childish, healthy conflict uh, management. Uh, the result was we all left <laughs> that day <laughs> and uh, had, a, had a very awkward 24-hour road trip home uh, through New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota. It was great. Super. After that, this group of guys that had been taking trips together every year for 10 years, we haven't done it since, for... For two years, two of the guys, one of, one of the, a geocacher and a non-geocacher, two, the guys were pretty close, didn't speak to each other for two years over this event. 
Isn't that sad? I mean, we're, it's not like we're, we're just, you know, the average, you know, bum on the street. We were youth pastors. We worked for churches. We're in charge of, like, discipling young people. And, and we still can't handle conflict well enough where we don't end up, like, not speaking to each other for two years. It was, it was awful. And I look back at that and I go, man, we're bad at conflict management. Just people in general, we stink at this. Uh, I work with couples a lot, couples that, uh, people who are married that want a a stronger marriage, people that want to get married and want to start well. And uh, I always give uh, an online assessment that evaluates your relationship in nine different categories. And when we do that and we get the results back, nine out of 10 times, those results come back, the lowest score for that couple is in conflict management. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't. Because you could, do, you could do this right now. I mean, if you got a piece of paper and a pen, uh, just give your, if you're sitting with your spouse, oh, this would be fun, uh, g- give your spouse a score on a scale of one to 10 of how good your spouse is at conflict management and then trade papers. And we can do conflict management right here, right now. I mean, we could just have a good time. We stink at this. And so because we're bad at it, sometimes what we do is just kind of throw up our hands and say, well, I'm, I'm, every time I engage in conflict, it goes poorly, I hurt somebody, so I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. What's the point if I'm not gonna do it well? Or we can say, hey, listen, like, yes, I'm bad at it, but relationships are so important, especially if you're a Jesus follower. Relationships with other people are critical to us living out the life that God created us to live. I mean, we're image bearers of God, and he's pretty good at relationships. And so we have to reflect who he is to the world around us. We've got to get good at this. And everyone else on the planet is also an image bearer of our creator. And so everyone else we interact with, it matters that we treat them with dignity and respect and that we're able to work through conflict. Because conflict in and of itself is neutral. It's neutral. It's not, conflict is not good or bad. Now, I think we often think of conflict as bad. We think of it in negative terms. And it, for many of us, just saying the word conflict so many times, you're, there's anxiety rising up in you. You're like, ooh, I don't like this. But conflict in and of itself is neutral. It's how we handle conflict that makes it good or bad. And what I would hope that we would see as we go through Acts 15 today and study together, that we would see conflict as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to grow Uh, It's to grow in our relationship, to grow in our walk with Jesus, uh, to grow as followers of Jesus, to grow as a church, and um, that we will see that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit really wants to work through conflict. The Holy Spirit wants us to see conflict as an opportunity so that the Holy Spirit can work through conflict to advance the kingdom of God in our own hearts, in our families, in our church, in our community. So with that in mind, I have about three hours worth of material I'm going to try to cover in the next 20 minutes. So buckle up, Acts 15, verse 1. Here we go. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So the church in Antioch, Antioch is outside Jerusalem. There's a lot of Gentiles there and the gospel has reached Antioch and People are coming to Jesus left and right. I mean, just crazy. All, hundreds of people coming to Jesus. A lot of them are Gentiles. And some of the Jews are saying, hey, uh, Gentiles, great. You guys are welcome. Come on in. But before you can be a Christian, you have to become a Jew. The Christianity is really for Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, so you've got to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. So you, you need to get circumcised. You've got to follow the law of Moses. 
And that, that's what they expected to happen. Paul and Barnabas, on the other hand, they've, they've been traveling around. They started some churches and they've seen the Holy Spirit work in the lives of Gentiles who were not circumcised. So they're kind of going, nah, I, don't, I don't think so. That doesn't sound right to us. So they did the exact right thing. They got together, right? The, the circumcision people and the non-circumcision people, they get together and they say, let's work this out. Let's see if we can work this out. And they can't, they can't. That, that brings me a little bit of comfort to know that these, these people, like, they're, they're heroes of the faith, and they had this issue. They couldn't, they couldn't get on the same page, but they didn't quit. So what would happen today is if we, we've got a big issue. This is a salvation issue, right? They're saying, you can't be saved unless you do this, right? This is a salvation. It's a big issue. So what, what we would expect to happen from our 21st century perspective is that these circumcision people, they realize, okay, Paul and Barnabas aren't going to budge on this. Um, we, we, you know, you guys, you know, knock yourselves out. You want to you wanna bring Gentiles in the church? Go for it. We're going to go start our own church over here where we circumcise all the Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas could easily have gone, all right, you circumcision people, you're sort of, you're sort of out, out in left field for us. We, we don't buy into that. So we're going to go start our own church over here. You guys can circumcise all the Gentiles you want. We're not going to do that. And we'll just do two separate churches. But they didn't do that. And, and aren't you glad that that's not how the church started, was every time we have a problem, we're just, you know, you, you, you want to go start a church somewhere else and do your thing, that's fine, knock yourselves out. No, they, instead, when they couldn't work it out, they send uh, the delegates, Paul and Barnabas and some representatives from the other side, and they send them to the church in Jerusalem. They say the elders and the apostles there, these people can help us, we need help. This is worth figuring out, this is worth resolving. We have got to work through this conflict. So they go to Jerusalem, and uh, let's pick up in verse six and see what happens next. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe we will be saved through the grace of our, the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So what I, what I like about how Peter handles this situation, Peter is probably the resident expert in the room, okay? If you remember from last week in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is the one who was called to go to a, a Gentile's home, the first Gentile convert. And you remember the pigs in the blanket thing and he had the vision and he went and Cornelius becomes a Christian. There's no mention of Cornelius being circumcised or committing to the law of Moses. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter is telling him, hey guys, you know all of this just happened recently. So what Peter's saying is, let's, let's pay attention to where the Holy Spirit's at work. It's clear the Holy Spirit is working in Gentiles who have not been circumcised. We should pay attention to that. So Peter sits down. Then it says, all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So then Paul and Barnabas get up to speak and they say, hey, in case you want to know what's going on outside of Jerusalem, we can tell you the Holy Spirit is doing miracle after miracle among the Gentiles and filling them with the Spirit, and Gentiles are coming to Jesus. Like, let's pay attention to where the Spirit is at work. 
So what I appreciate about Peter and Paul and Barnabas is that they have the most experience, the most direct uh, um, hands-on, you know, practice with this whole situation. And it seems like they speak last. It says uh, in verse seven, after there had been much debate. So Peter, Paul, Barnabas sit in silence while everyone else gets their thoughts and opinions and their voices are heard and they get it all out on the table. I, I like that. I like that they waited. They could have led with this and maybe shortened the meeting, right? Isn't that what we all hope for? Just a shorter meeting, please. Can we have a shorter meeting? But instead, they let all of this happen first, and when everyone else has had their say, they get up and they present their case. And their case basically is, the work of the Holy Spirit is a bright, neon, flashing arrow in the direction we should go. Let's pay attention to that. So then... Um, we, we see James is gonna speak. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. He was not a believer uh, before the resurrection. I mean, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? It didn't happen for James until after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's like, okay, I get it. So James becomes a believer. He also becomes a leader in the church. And so everyone's kind of looking to James and James speaks. What does James do? He just quotes straight from the Old Testament prophets. Here's what James recites from the Old Testament. After this, this is God speaking through the prophet. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So there's is this prophecy that, that there's gonna come a time when the, the tent of David, which is, represents the kingdom of Israel and David who sat on the throne, um, that the kingdom is going to be rebuilt. And when the kingdom is being rebuilt, the Gentiles will be invited into the kingdom. And this is exactly what happens when Jesus comes along. What does, what does Jesus say? The kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is rebuilding the kingdom. This prophecy is being fulfilled. And as a part of this prophecy, the Gentiles are being invited in. So, so if, if Peter, Paul, and Barnabas are saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is a bright flashing arrow in the direction we should go, James is saying, hey, we need to pay attention to the words of scripture as well. What does scripture say? Scripture says we should anticipate the Gentiles being included in the kingdom. Like that's Right there in black and white, we got to pay attention to that. So when you put the direction of the Holy Spirit together and the work of the scripture together, now they, they've got a foundation for making a decision. This big debate has been going on. Everybody's voiced their opinions, and they finally make a decision. And in verse 19, you, you see what decision they make, and it's basically this. They say, we're not going to make it hard for the Gentiles who want to follow Jesus. Why would we make it difficult Following Jesus is, is difficult enough on its own. I mean, you're, you're giving control of your whole life over uh, to the one that we believe is a king of the kingdom. That's, that's, a, that's a tough call. Why would we make it more difficult? Why would we add things to this challenge? Let's just not do that. Let's not add things. And so the decision they make, they, they decide to write a letter and they're gonna send this letter out to all the churches saying, okay, the, you're, you know, the leaders of the church have met. Here's what we've decided. We're not gonna make it difficult. Gentiles do not have to get circumcised. They don't have to follow the law of Moses. And they send this, this letter out. When they send the letter out, here's, here's some things in the letter that are important to know. In verse um, 25, James says the phrase that we have come to one accord. We have come to one accord. We're in agreement. All of the leaders of the church are in agreement. Okay, first of all, that's notable, right? <laughs> we agree. This wasn't just like, what color are we gonna paint the walls and what kind of carpet are we gonna put in? This was a salvation issue. And they were divided at the beginning and at the end, they were united. Isn't that remarkable? 
Like, I think that's pretty amazing. Because on the one side, you've got uh, the circumcision group is really led by these former Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the, the religious elite. They were used to being the smartest people in the room when it came to Bible stuff. They were used to being right. They were used to stepping into the room and telling everyone else, this is what the Bible says, this is what you should do. And they lose this debate. The former Pharisees lose this debate. And instead of taking their ball and going home and starting their own church, they submit to the leadership and the decision of the church. They submit to basically the direction of the Holy Spirit and the words of scripture. And they're able to say, we were wrong. Isn't that amazing? Church leaders saying they're wrong? And and there's unity now? And, And what was divided is now united? So James says we're all in one accord. In verse 28, he says, it seemed good to the Spirit and to us. So James is saying, it's not just us. We're not just making stuff up on our own. We, we are in partnership with the Spirit of God, and we're standing on the foundation of Scripture, and this is the direction that we've chosen to go. So they send this letter out. Um, let's see what happens uh, when they send it out. Verse 30 and 31. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So the people in Antioch, they get the letter. Okay, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to follow the law of Moses. Um, And they celebrate this, first of all, because there were a lot of adult men who were wanting to follow Jesus that were on the edge of their seats waiting to hear how this conversation went down. (laughs) Like, are we going to have to be circumcised? And that might be a deal breaker for me because I really don't want to do that. Uh, but I think they were celebrating because the door's been opened wide for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom. But I think another thing they're celebrating is the unity of their leadership. They're able to look at the church in Jerusalem, these apostles. Uh, we've got people who were former Pharisees, the religious elite. We've got kind of backwoods fishermen from Galilee. And they've all come together and agreed on the direction of the church. And I think they were celebrating that too. The, the unity of the leadership of the church. That's worth celebrating. And this is an encouragement to everyone. The doors open wide for the Gentiles. And so what we see, we see the Holy Spirit working through this conflict. The Holy Spirit's not trying to go around it. It's not sending people to go start their own churches to avoid the conflict. The Holy Spirit is working through the conflict to advance the kingdom. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and absolutely in our churches today. Work through conflict. To see conflict as an opportunity rather than something that's negative and destructive. So, what do we have to deal with? Some of us are gonna have to deal with our fear of conflict. It's frightening. I mean, let's be honest. Because what's at stake is a relationship with somebody that we care about. If that doesn't create a little bit of seriousness, then we're not, we don't really love the people that we're talking about. If we love them, then this potential danger, what conflict is, is this potential danger that we're going to blow it and we're gonna break this relationship or damage it in some way. And that's real. But if the Holy Spirit can work through healthy conflict to bring unity, And if we really care about the people that we're in relationship with, then we've got to find ways to handle conflict in ways that are healthy and lead to unity, connection, and growth. So let's talk about healthy conflict. Uh, I believe this is going to help us 
personally, but this is not just about being a nicer person, okay? This is, this is because we are image bearers of our creator and we see everyone else as image bearers of our creator, that we value relationships because God values relationships. We've got to get better at this. So healthy conflict is, um, first of all, kind. First of all, it's kind. And I think most of us, that's counterintuitive. We think of conflict as negative. We think conflict is when I have to tell you that you did something bad or that you're wrong, and that's just mean. And Christians are supposed to be nice, so we can't, we can't tell people that they're wrong or that they did something bad because that's mean. Um, we won't find anywhere in the Bible that Christians are supposed to be nice. You're like, great, that justifies a lot of my behavior. <laughs> No, but we are supposed to be kind. Nice is you say whatever it takes to keep people happy. That's nice. But Christians are called to be kind, and kind goes deeper. Kind is a reflection of the kind of love that Jesus talks about when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The way we define that love here is, I will do what's best for you as God defines best, even if it costs me. And sometimes kindness costs you, doesn't it? It hardly ever costs you much to be nice, but it will definitely cost you to be kind. Because kind means sometimes we have to engage when we'd rather not. So uh, healthy conflict is always kind. It, it values the other person. It upholds the dignity of the other person. It treats people with respect always. Um, kindness doesn't manipulate. Okay, Manipulation is not kind. Kindness doesn't seek to control through some kind of leveraging power or authority or emotion. That's not kind. Kindness looks to do what's best for the other person and seeks to communicate care and compassion. So healthy conflict is first of all kind, and then healthy conflict is honest. It must be honest. When we sit down to engage with somebody, we have to tell the truth. That seems obvious, doesn't it? But sometimes we hold back because sometimes the truth feels unkind, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like it's not nice to say the thing that's true because the truth can hurt, can't it? But if we're gonna grow, if we value the other person, if our goal is to build each other up and move each other forward, sometimes we have to share a difficult and painful truth. On the other side of that, we do not use truth as a weapon. I will not use truth against you to hurt you. That's, that's gotta be the rule, that's gotta be the expectation. I think sometimes we, we sort of justify saying unkind things that are true by saying, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I'm sure that hurt, but I'm just being honest. And often that comes from a place where my, my first goal is not building you up, it's actually protecting myself. And that's when I use truth as a weapon to hurt somebody. So we don't use truth as a weapon. So this is all what's happening in our hearts. It's what, what do we really want? Do I want what's best for you and am I trying to build you up? Or do I really, am I really looking after myself, protecting myself, justifying myself? And when I do that, it's, it's tempting to use truth as a weapon to hurt somebody. So we don't do that. Healthy conflict is kind, honest, and healthy conflict is direct, is direct. We get a great example of this in Galatians chapter two. Paul is writing this letter uh, to these churches. And he tells them about this encounter he has with Peter, which sort of is a callback to what we just read about in Acts 15. So in Acts 15, Peter and Paul are on the same side of this debate, right? They both believe the Gentiles are invited into the kingdom. Let's not make it difficult for them. They are equal members of the kingdom with the Jews. But by a few years later in Galatians 2, Paul is saying Peter took a step backwards. Peter is actually 
distancing himself from the Gentiles to try to preserve his reputation with the Jews. And Paul looks at that and goes, uh, no, come on, man. I thought we agreed. I thought we decided that that was not okay. So what he says in Galatians 2 is, I opposed Peter to his face. And we read that and we think that Paul got up in Peter's face and he shook his finger at him and told him what a bad Christian he was. I don't think that's necessarily what Paul is implying there. I think what Paul is implying is that he stood up and, and um, challenged Peter to his face as opposed to challenging him behind his back. He approached Peter directly. Instead of talking to other people about Peter, he talked to Peter because Peter was the person he had the issue with. This is, this is incredibly important. When, when we talk about someone that we have an issue with rather than to someone, we're breaking relationships, we're doing damage, this is not gonna lead to unity and growth. We must be direct when we talk to people. And I would just say, as a, as a tip, 21st century tip, I don't think email is the best way to do this. Right? I mean... How easy is it to misread, to misunderstand, to misspeak in an email? And you don't, you don't have any way to really help the other person understand what you're thinking and feeling. You just got some words on a page. Um, face-to-face conversation is, is the best way to, to directly engage with conflict. So healthy conflict is kind, honest, direct, and finally spirit-led. This is just us being willing to sit down before we engage with somebody and pray and say, Father, If I go in this on my own, I'll screw it up. (laughs) But if you would partner with me, if your spirit would lead me, I can be kind, honest, and direct. We can value the relationship and work toward unity. So are we willing to be spirit-led? Are we willing to invite the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit does not see conflict as a negative. It sees conflict as an opportunity to move us forward. Holy Spirit wants to work through conflict. If we invite him into the process, we're gonna be better off. Okay, there are a couple big questions, I think, that that circulate in our hearts and minds. They may never come out of our mouths, but they're in here somewhere that I think we need to address. But for the sake of time, I'm going to ask you to look at the handouts that should be on your uh, seats. And instead of going through all this out loud, I'm just going to point you to those handouts and ask you to to read through this later. So one of the big um, questions that we often have is, how do I know when a confrontation is needed? How do I know when to just let something go because it's not that big a deal and when to engage because it is a big deal? How do I know the difference? Well, I think we start with Jesus's instructions from Matthew 18. Jesus starts like this, if your brother sins against you. I think that's important. an important place to start. Jesus is talking about when sin is involved. This is not if your brother annoys you, okay? This is not if your brother has a different opinion from you. This is not if your brother um, likes a different team than you. This is if your brother or sister sins against you. This is very clear context. Then you must engage. You must engage. You cannot let that go. Because this is what love requires of us. If love means I'm gonna do what's best for you, even if it costs me, and you sin against me, what's best for you is for somebody to point out that sin and to help you get through it and and leave it behind. That's what's best for the other person. It's really what's best for everybody because if they've done it to you, they could do it to somebody else, right? So if your brother sins against you, you need to address it. So there are some tips there for sort of how to do that and that there's kind of a different rule when it comes to unbelievers that we need to pay attention to. It's, it's more the turn the other cheek uh, posture. So uh, look through those. Um, if you have questions about any of that, I'd, I'd love to chat with you. The second big question I think that um, 
circulates in our hearts, but we hardly ever ask it out loud, is what's the difference between venting and gossip? What's the difference between venting and gossip? Because here's the pit that many of us fall into, and friends, I'm guilty of this. It's something I'm aware of, I'm working on. But often, I will gossip under the name of venting. Like my emotions are up, I'm just upset, I just need to get it out, and I start spewing stuff. And what comes out of my mouth actually qualifies as gossip and not just venting. There's, there's a difference, and there's actually a pretty clear line, and, and I've got some tips there for you. Basically, venting is, is, is a way to kind of get some emotion out so you can get back to sort of an emotional equilibrium so that you can engage, because we don't want to engage when our emotions are high, right? It, when, we, when, you're, when you're at your angriest is not the time you want to sit down and have the conversation. So sometimes venting can help you get that out, but venting is always best when it's anonymous, when it's with an, an objective person, somebody that doesn't actually even know the people you're talking about, and we don't use names, and we're not blaming people, and we're not, we're not making ourselves a victim. Venting is just, this is how I feel, and I need to get this out. There's a, there's a clear line. So I encourage you to look through that, um, because gossip is not just a bad idea, it's a sin, Scripture's really clear about that. It's a sin for a very particular reason. It breaks relationships. It absolutely destroys relationships. It undermines trust and breaks relationships. So we've got to stay away from gossip. It it breaks uh, churches too. I've seen gossip destroy churches. I've seen it. So we've got to stay away from that. We need to pay attention and know the difference between venting and gossiping. All right, you can look at that stuff on your own. So I just want to wrap up with this. Here's what I believe we see in Acts 15 and what we need to look forward to when it comes to conflict. Have you ever looked forward to conflict? We're going to, we're going to, change, we're going to change your life today. You're going to look forward uh, to your next conflict because here's what it produces. Conflict, when it's done right, when it's healthy, results in unity. The church was divided. You had these really smart and Strong leaders on one side who are saying, man, these, these guys really need to get circumcised. And you've got these really passionate missionaries on the other side going, no way, we can't put that obstacle in front of them. And they were divided. But the Holy Spirit worked through their conflict to bring unity so that at the end, they're all able to say, we're in agreement. Even though some of us didn't get our way, we're in agreement because we want what's best for the kingdom of God, not just to be right. Some people are willing to, to lose in order for the church to win. And sometimes that, that's what needs to happen. So conflict leads to unity. It's, it's, we're always stronger when my wife and I have conflict. It's, listen friends, it's 99%, it's my fault, okay? She's pretty awesome. But whenever there's conflict, we're always stronger when we work through it. When we're avoiding it, because we go through this period where we're both like, I don't really wanna talk about this, let's just not talk about it, and we avoid it, then it starts to eat at our relationship. And we don't wanna spend as much time together and we don't wanna be as kind to each other. But once we sit down and we work through it, we're always stronger on the other side. So marriages are stronger, parenting relationships are stronger, coworker relationships are stronger, and churches are stronger when we work through conflict because unity comes out on the other side. Healthy conflict always results in a commitment to action. So you see this in the church in Jerusalem. When they, when they, when they get on the same page, they, they do something about it. They don't, they don't just say, okay, let's just all get along. Can we all just get along? Like, that's not enough for them. We've got to do something now. So they write this letter. They send it out to the churches because they're, what they're trying to do is to prevent more future conflict um, over this same issue. So there's a commitment to action. This happens in, in my relationship with my wife again. Um, I don't know, that's just an easy example because uh, 
We had a conflict once, you know? So, um, but this, this, when, when we sit down and work through it, there's always a plan of action. And it's usually, uh, Adam needs to do something different. Adam needs to, I don't, don't use that tone with me. Okay, I won't use that, you know, like. So there's always a commitment to action. Um, and that commitment is something everybody agrees on and we hold each other accountable to. And it moves us forward. Action moves us forward. And healthy conflict always results in growth. When, when this happens in the church in Jerusalem, the doors to the kingdom are kicked wide open for the Gentiles. Before this, there were some people standing at the gate to the kingdom and, to, and stopping all the Gentiles and saying, hey, you know, sure, you can come in, but you, you, you need to be circumcised and take on the law of Moses first. When they remove that obstacle, the doors are wide open and the church experiences this period of rapid growth again. As things are healthy and it's exciting, the spirit's working and lives are being changed left and right. And that's what the Spirit wants to do in us. He wants to produce growth. Not just personally make me a better person, but like growth, like more people coming to know Jesus. Friends, when a group of people this size can stand in unity at the end of a conflict, that is a bright shining light to the world because that is not normal. We can be divided over so many things in our world, right? I could throw out 10 issues off the top of my head and I could split this room in half with 10 different issues. But when we work through conflict and stand united to our community, that is a bright shining light where where we get a chance to share the gospel. So it produces growth in the kingdom. Lives are changed when we engage in healthy conflict. So I just wanna close by asking you a couple of questions. I'm gonna ask you to pray through one of these uh, three. I think it's three. One of these three questions uh, and just bring this to God this morning um, and uh, we're gonna have a perspective of conflict that it is an opportunity, right? So question number one is, is there an unresolved conflict in your life right now? Something that's creating anxiety in you, maybe some fear, maybe some anger. Is there an unresolved conflict in your life that you need to address and engage in a kind, honest, direct, spirit-led manner? Is there a conflict in your life? Second, I would ask you, Is there a conflict in your life that you tried to resolve, but now it needs mediation? So this is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 18, if you read the rest of that. If it doesn't work out the first time, don't give up. Bring somebody else in. Get some help, okay? Get some help. So that could be a pastor, an elder here. It could be a counselor, somebody who can be objective. But do you need mediation in a conflict that you haven't been able to resolve? And if you do, reach out to the church. We can point to somebody. Reach out to a trusted friend and get some uh, mediation. And uh, the third is, have you wounded someone and you haven't owned it yet? Have you wounded someone and you haven't owned it yet? And maybe sometimes we're waiting on them. And you know, if they would just tell me that what I did hurt them, then I'd be glad to say I'm sorry. No, friends, we, we need to take initiative. If, if we really want healthy relationships, if we really care about people, if we really see the image of God in people, we need to take initiative. If you've wounded someone and you haven't owned it, you need to make a phone call today and say, please forgive me. Please forgive me. That's, th- those words are powerful. Okay, so is there an unresolved conflict? Do you need mediation or have you wounded somebody and you need to uh, seek resolution? So um, in, in just a moment, we're gonna pray and ask God to convict us on one of these three areas and uh, be ready to act. If the Holy Spirit convicts you and you need to make a phone call and set up a meeting today, do it today. And I'm just praying I don't get like 15 phone calls this afternoon. Adam, we need to talk. Like, okay. But if you need to talk to me, please do. Just hope it's not everybody. (laughs) 
Um, so uh, let's, let's bring this to the Father and, uh, and pray about this together. Would you do that with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to grow through conflict. I know we don't always see it that way, but you've proven through scripture, uh, through the history of the church, through the work uh, of the disciples, that it's an opportunity to grow. And I pray that you would do that in us and through us. Would you convict our hearts this morning, Father, if there's a step that we need to take to resolve a conflict? Because we love people, because we, we value each other and we wanna see growth. Would you do that in us and through us? And we pray that you get the glory and that people see the light of Christ in us when this happens. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, uh, if you wanna reach out, like I said, if you need mediation or you wanna reach out for some more help with this, please please do. You can, you can text, uh, respond to this number. We'd be glad to help you. Um, we're gonna have a baptism this morning and I, I just wanna uh, share with you, we've been singing this song every time we have a baptism called New Creations because what happens when someone gives their life to Christ is... What Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come. We are dead to sin and made alive in Christ. And so uh, just get gear up, get ready to sing new creations with us uh, when we see this new life in Christ. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Matthew and the team are gonna lead us through a song about letting the spirit lead.